You're listening to the Around the Lens podcast, the home of high-quality, roundtable, visual journalism discussion about the news, topics, and gear related to our career field. Now, here's the host of our show, David J. Murphy. Hello and welcome to episode 233 of Around the Lens. I'm your host, David J. Murphy. Joining me is my co-host, APA chairman, and a freelance photographer in the state of New York and working mostly in New York City doing commercial and uh, all kinds of other work, um, Mr. Travis Keys. Hello, Travis. How are you? What's going on? I feel you improvised a little there. I think you're going, you know, New York, maybe New York, but yeah, I'm all over the world, brother. But New York is where I'm home-based, absolutely. How you been? I'm good, man. I'm good. Yeah, I did improvise a little bit there. I don't have my notes in front of me, so it's like I'm, <laughs> it's I'm pretty going good. by what I'm I can impressed. remember. Fashion photographer, commercial photographer, um, that, journeyman. Uh, Jinka Koloba that you keep taking that I think is working. Yes, indeed. All right. Well, happy to have you on, buddy, as my co-host. And our guest this week, returning for his second appearance, is a uh, doctor and photographer based out of Boise, Idaho, Mr. Tim Floyd. Hello, Tim. Hi. How are you, Dave? Travis. What is going Not on? Much, man. Glad, glad to see you. Glad to see you. You doing all right? You holding up? Yeah, uh, good to be here. Um, I uh, uh, we we I'm retired, and so uh, from medicine at least. So uh, it's has it's been um, uh, not as horrible as it could have right. been. Retired doctor <laughs> and current months. photographer, yeah. photojournalist yeah. Tim Floyd. Uh, Tim, you've had quite a few developments uh, since the last time we had you on. Um, you told me about them in an email. Why don't you go ahead and recount them for me? Tell me all about the the great things that have been happening in your life. Uh, right. So, um, <clears throat> when I retired from medicine, I decided to pursue my other, uh, career choice back from college and, uh, started working as a freelance photojournalist, a documentary photographer. And, uh, I've worked on a story for about five or six months, uh, last year and, uh, wound up being a front page article in the Statesman, our paper here in, in Idaho. Um, and so that was good. And then I had a second story. Uh, and then I've got, I had another story I've been working on during the shutdown, during the lockdown uh, for about four months. And uh, I submitted that to the Washington Post. And they, they said they're going to be featuring it in their insight uh, section. Um, you know, you never know until it's actually published. If they're going to be able to, you never know what's going to happen in the news that would, that would push it off. But uh, supposedly that should be happening in the next uh, week or so. I'm not not sure what their time frame is. Yeah, no, absolutely. Fantastic. Well, that is great cool. news. Um, yeah. Okay, well, we're going to talk to you about all kinds of other things that's going on, you know, COVID and photo bill rights and all those other fun stories we have lined up here in the next uh, hour or so. Our topics this evening, by the way, in case you haven't been following our show notes, is we're going to be talking about the new Canon R5 and R6 cameras that were recently released. Uh, the uh, photographer who is suing in Virginia saying that COVID laws, or I'm sorry, that laws could force him to shoot same-sex weddings. And then uh, we'll talk a little more about the photo bill of rights and some back and forth that's been going on publicly in the world of Petapixel. So let's get right into topic number one, which is Canon. Uh, they released or announced, I guess, you know, the, the actual cameras will be released later in this month and uh, in August. Um, but they finally formally, officially revealed and announced 
the R5 and the R6. I'll quickly go over the specs, although if you're listening to me talk about it right now, you're probably already aware that like every single like photo-based photojournalism vi- video YouTuber, filmmaker YouTuber has already talked about this thing to death and talking about the specs. I see it on every, excuse me, every channel. Um, but starting with the uh, EOS R5, it's uh, basically, you know, their new 5D series camera, five, and that sort of family of line. The 5 is very important to them. Um, its big sort of flagship feature is the fact that it can shoot 8K raw video up to 30 uh, frames per second, 10-bit 422, 4K and up, and, and 4K at uh, up to 120 frames per second. That is actually really awesome and probably one of the, in my opinion, the more standout feature in terms of what you can do with it. Um, on the photo side, you've got a 45 megapixel CMOS sensor. You can do 20 frames per second electronic shutter uh, with no blackout, and you get tr- 12 frames per second with mechanical shutter. Um, what doesn't go into, at least, you know, and we'll probably learn more about this when, you know, it's actually in hands of photographers, is, you know, the continuous shooting rate with continuous focus, because that's what really slows down those type of um, frames per second. Uh, ratings. Um, beyond that, you know, you got your typical dual pixel CMOS, autofocus, 100% coverage. IBIS is, of course, the big uh, flagship feature. Finally, Canon only took you, you know, how many years? I've been playing with IBIS on my my GH5 for like the last three years. So, welcome to you know 2017. Um, but uh, IBIS, of course, is a big deal. And then a 5.76 million EVF. Uh, if you want to pick up the camera, it is 3900 without the lens and 5000 if you want the 24 to 105 millimeter lens. On the R6, oh, that, what's that? That's you, you, that, isn't that your prices? I think it's cheaper here in the States. No, that's the U.S. price. That's why I got it. I, what was the price? Five thousand with a lens. Thirty eight hundred, thirty nine hundred, thirty eight ninety nine, with the body. Oh, okay. All right, all right. Yeah, thirty eight hundred with the body. I thought there was a, like a four thousand eight hundred. Yeah, five thousand with lens. Yeah, I guess yeah. that's right. Yeah, wow. Yeah, so I mean, it's, it's a, a pricey camera, but you know, for what you're getting, that's a pricey, of yeah. it, I think it's it's definitely it's premium, worth it. premium, premium territory there. Yeah. Yeah, they finally. I mean, they really listened to their audience i think i mean they got the dual card readers one is c fast one is sd so you know if, you, if you're like me and you have a bunch of old sd cards lying around you still can get at least up to 4k 60 yeah. if you want that 4k 120 or the 8k you need that cf fast card um yeah so it's, it's definitely a tantalizing uh, camera we'll talk about it in more detail in a second but quickly the r6 um, it's sort of the lower end cousin to the R5. Um, both have the same basic uh, body type and um, very similar processors and whatnot. Digix X processor, uh, the same processor when the 1DX Mark III, by the way. Um, and if you're not as inclined to shoot 8K video, I think this is definitely the camera for you. It's got a 20.1 megapixel sensor, but it can also shoot. 10-bit 422 4K up to 60, fra- um, 60 frames per second, and 180, uh, 1080p 
at 120 frames per second slow motion. Uh, but you can also do the same 20 frames per second and 12 frames per second um, shots. So great to see that. It'll probably be better in low light because it's got a, a smaller sensor or at least a lower resolution sensor with bigger pixels. So that's something to keep in mind. So I think that's what you've been seeing a lot. Also the dual SD cards. So I think from the community who's been asking for these features for a long time and seen it being done on other cameras like the GH5, you know, this is the camera that probably a lot more people will jump into. Plus it's coming in at a lower price. Uh, you can get it for 2,500 or you can get it with a, a kit lens for 2,900, albeit it's a it's not a great kit lens or 3600 for a better quality kit lens to both the uh, 24 to 105. So let's talk about these cameras, gentlemen. Uh, we always like to throw it to our guest for their first initial thoughts on any topic we talk about, or at least our first topic. So, uh, Tim, what do you shoot with and what do you think of Canon's offerings here? <clears throat> well, I was traumatized when I was 13 years old. My neighbor gave me a, a Leica, Ooh. a broken Leica 3C. Sorry for your loss. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so uh, I just got used to that feel. And then I couldn't afford one uh, for because it was broken. I had to trade it in, but I couldn't afford one for about 40 years. Right. And uh, and then finally, about 10 years ago, um, got back into it. And I just I like the mechanical feel of that camera. So that's that's what i use uh, i have used nikons i've never used canon but um to me these look like you know uh, amazing cameras uh but six months from now there'll be a replacement or you know nine months from now and i i was on that i think everybody's on that carousel and uh, i decided to jump off of that carousel uh, a while back just uh because it just gets going faster and faster and faster and you wind up spending more and more and more yeah. money uh, and for what I do, I, I you know I don't need that. Um, I think the you know probably the working photojournalist who is sent out on assignment has to catch video and has to you know do all this stuff. Yeah. Uh, that probably makes sense. But um, I went I went we had uh, protests here in Boise a couple of weeks ago, and I went down to uh, you know cover that. And uh, uh, I had my Leica with me, and then I had my you know my Nikon with my zoom and everything else in my bag, and it, it never came out. And uh, I, I was able to to get really everything I needed with one camera and one well two lenses. Um, so um, yeah, I'm I'm not a I don't even know much about Canon. Everybody talks about the Mark Davis that uh, Alphabet Soup uh, uh, cameras, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't even I have no idea what all that stuff means. So sorry I didn't have a, a whole erudite discussion for you on that. But uh, no, but it's nice to know that people are you know are sticking and holding on true to some of their cameras. And I think uh, what what you're saying, jumping on the carousel, so yeah, it's an important part. It, it, even with you know last year's generation or the year before's generation of mirrorless, you know, people don't need to jump on the very, I think people just want to. Uh, I, certainly they're very capable and, and uh, uh, there's so many benefits that you can get out of these mirrorless cameras that uh, are really kind of impressive nowadays and uh, and a reason to jump on them. But you don't always have to jump up to the latest and greatest. Uh, but uh, it's nice to see that Canon's pushing the envelope and really kind of uh, making a really serious camera now. And uh, it's a little early to see... Uh, what it's going to be like uh, the first round, like as you said, Dave, everybody kind of all this rush of everybody coming out with a, a, a video and a review. And, uh, you know, I always think uh, never, never buy a camera off of those, because if that's the first round, it's like, you know, you know, the, the, the car commercials like, oh, it looks great. I have to have that. Uh, it's the second round once it hits everybody's hands. And uh, there's a lot of real world uh, usage that uh, I'll be very interested to see how this uh, camera performs out in the real world when uh, real 
people are using it because that's where the the true tests are going to come and the, and the faults we're going to do. But uh, in terms of the the progression, uh, you know, cameras, you know, you've had Sony in the in the realm for so long now, and you know, other makers making mirrorless cameras, you know, like Fuji, but uh, Canon with their EOS R came out with some really impressive stuff on that camera, and, and it just wasn't pro yet, and it didn't have the dual cards card slots and the joystick for uh, focus adjustment and a lot of little things that kind of kept it out of the hands of uh, pros using it. But with this new iteration and the you know the the six and the five, it looks very very uh, impressive though, and uh, it's an exciting thing. And I know the EOS R performed really well in low light, and I was really impressed at how well it did uh, just in those circumstances in, in acquiring focus and shooting and being consistent. So I'm really excited to see what the uh, R5 will do. But uh, I, I, can, I can say there will probably be an announcement from Sony at sometime soon. So huh, we'll see. You just love teasing that. <laughs> no, that's yeah. I mean, yeah, well, we've heard a lot of rumors about, and you know, I know you're not going to tell us what it is, but obviously the A7S3 has been bandied about. A lot of rumors there, which I think is long yep. overdue. I think the S3 is a wonderful, um, a wonderful camera. That uh, well, I'm sorry, the A7S2 is a wonderful camera. Uh, and the S series has just been remarkable when it comes to low light photography. So, you know, I'm I'm hopeful yeah. that that's going to be coming out. But actually, it, it was designed more for video. Uh, so I mean, right, it's right, great yeah. For, I mean, low light videography, low light video. That's what I meant. Yeah, yeah. Because it's not really a photographer's camera. It shoots, you know. What is it like? Twelve megapixel stills. You it's, know? A, it's twelve megabit, but people get kind of hung up on that because you know it's like you look at oh well my iPhone has twelve megapixels yeah but the sensor is this big so the amounts of the size of pixels on a twelve megapixel pickles. Sony full frame sensor is I know megapixel megapixels megapixels. Megapixels yeah. uh, it is so much larger, which allows it to uh, deal with that light. And the sensor is, you know, a, a very different design than what you'd find in, you know, your phone. So that's why people get hung up on, like, well, let's say I have that in my phone. Like, no, you don't have that in your phone. Right. <laughs> uh, and the way it, it deals with light, and uh, it's a beautiful. And I've used it for still photography as well. I, I had the uh, original A7S, and I did a, a series in Guatemala just in the, at night, uh, shooting on the streets. And what I was able to capture, and with no flash and no lights and stuff like that, was was really amazing. And that was the first generation. So, and a lot of people get hung up. Well, it's long overdue and stuff like that. Well, you know, it's like camera coming out every year. It's not really long overdue. I mean, they they wanted to make sure that they were going to put out a camera in the next generation that really had something. And if you look at their their lines, they're really kind of pushing a lot of each time they come out with something there is there's a lot of new tech in those and it's not just to put it out to put it out they're they're really actually pushing the the envelope and what they're doing with in, with each camera and that's why they have the three different lines you know the r line which is a really high resolution line yeah. the uh the regular a a line the seven line which is uh you're, you're kind of all, everything you know, uh, middle of the the road kind of amazing thing, and the S line, which is uh, for sensitivity, which is low light and video mainly, kind of, but also stills, which is a uh, you know they've really kind of carved out a really good niche in what they do. But the Canon, the Canon stuff with this coming out is is, is very exciting, and 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 what I like about Canon is they waited long enough that they were able to do a different lens mount and and now come up with some really kind of kind of creative and very cool uh, uh you know glass for for that camera which that i find probably one of the most exciting things yeah no i mean the lens mount is definitely probably you know the biggest innovation with their mirrorless cameras in terms of just what they can do with it i mean 
you know, if you have the deepest pockets, you can get uh, some very um, fast glass that is, is out. I think there's a, a 24 to 70 F2, which is, is pretty awesome. Um, so, you know, it's, it's definitely opened up a lot of opportunity for what that camera system can do. I see uh, myself using, you know, the 24 to 105 f4 that comes with the kit for the eos r5 which by the way i can let everybody know i did pre-order the r5 so hopefully i'll get it here at the end of the Exciting. month if so. they are able to actually ship it out to korea um <laughs> that, that's always an issue when you, you're trying to ship lithium ion batteries overseas but i was able yeah. to get all the s series cameras from lumix out here and really all bnh has to do is take the camera or take the battery that's in the package, stick it in the camera, and then it's it's able to be shipped overseas. I don't know why that's the sort of litmus or whatever for shipping things overseas, but you know if B and H really wants to make that sale, they will do that, and they did for me before, and I think they'll do so again. Um, At Arama, by the way, they won't ship to APO for things that are over twenty five hundred dollars. So if you're looking, if you're oh, wow. in an APO address overseas and you're trying to get something from Adorama, they won't ship over $2,500. It doesn't matter if it's a battery or not, although batteries are a factor, it's just the price of it, which is weird. I don't know why that is, but that's their policy. So uh, I cannot buy it from Adorama, unfortunately. So, Dave, are you switching from, because from, I, I think I think you were, as I remember, like a Nikon user or something, <laughs> and you went to Lumix, and uh, are you switching? So yes and no. Um, I think it's going to kind of be like how I switched from Canon to Panasonic. So back in the day, I got the GH4 as my primary video camera because it could shoot 4K30. And it was the first sort of affordable, commercially available DSLR sized 4K camera. And, you know, of course, I had the the new baby coming into the world. I want to make sure all their memories were shot on 4K. And so I got the GH4 primarily for that. You know, I got like a sort of kit lens that came with it, and that was it. And I still kept my Canon 5D Mark II for all my photo work and and occasional video, stuff like that. But my GH4 was the primary video camera. And then I adopted the GH5 and just completely abandoned the Canon. And now it's kind of going to be opposite. I'm going to sell the GH4, hopefully. Um, Keep the GH5. I'm going to probably sell the majority of lenses I have for it and keep basically one or two lenses. And then the R5 will be my primary stills and video camera. But I'll keep the... This is starting to sound like one of those uh, Facebook tongue riddles. If you have five GH4s in a room and then you get to, you know, two Canon 5D Mark IVs and then replace it with an R5, how many uh, turtles would you be on the floor? Like, what? <laughs> like, how do I get across the river with both cameras? No, essentially, I'm keeping the GH5. I'm selling all the other gear except for a lens or two. And then I'm going to have the R5 and, a, you know, the kit lens as sort of my primary stills and video shooter, but I'll keep the GH5 as, as a backup shooter. You know, I can't deny the GH5's capability to shoot continuous, uninterrupted, unlimited 4K60 video. That's just a, a capability I have that I don't want to give up. Plus, it's also my webcam for the show. I use it for a bunch of standing, talking head stuff. So it'll be as my backup camera. Will it eventually maybe fall by the wayside and get sold or whatever? I don't know because my wife is going to take it on as her sort of uh, daily driver still shooter. So when we go out on vacation, whatnot, I'll have the GH5. She'll have the I'll, she'll have the GH5. I'll have the R5, and 
that'll be uh, what we do. So she's getting an upgrade, actually. So she was using the GH4 as her sort of still shooter, and now she'll get the GH5. So she gets my hand-me-downs. Uh, but yeah, so I'm keeping both uh, for the time being. But I, I definitely uh, am intrigued by what Canon is doing uh, with the R5. Um, you know, obviously, you know, is is 8K something that intrigues you, Travis? I mean, if Sony is is released or announced a 8K video, you know, DSLR shooter, would you? I mean, you'd probably jump on anything they release. But I'm saying, is that? You know, something you're you're pining for, or is it? Uh, you know, we've had this conversation before. Is 8K matter to you now? No, it, it, yeah, uh, the, I think 8K is a great thing if you're going to utilize uh, pulling stills, and that's exciting for yeah. me. Actually, shooting 8K to to for video right now is is not really. Although I, I I'm a big fan of being able to shoot 8K and then uh, do stuff in uh, post in terms of like panning and 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 zooming, which is you know gives you. you know, a lot of uh, option yeah. uh, and a real estate to do something like that, which is actually kind of really cool and exciting because you could do a lot of fun stuff in post with an 8K video. Uh, the amount of information there, that's great. Um, uh, I If Sony came out with an 8K, would it drive me? No, probably not. Um, I mean, I, it, I think... Uh, some of the rumored stuff that is, I'll say rumored, um, stuff that's going to come out in terms of what it can do uh, in 4K in, in slow motion it really is exciting because uh, I, I would tend to gravitate in, in my workflow of shooting more of that style. Uh, so that's exciting, uh, that coming down the road. And uh, unlimited time frame on shooting and non-overheating right now is sort of the, the basis for me. Um, and uh, I, I think there's a lot of exciting stuff out there, but uh, for the most part, I'm I'm a a still shooter, so uh, I, I'm gravitating to the cameras that are kind of uh, shooting, you know, on, in that style. So the you know the the Sony uh, the R's and uh, the A9s and stuff like that. I, I'm actually I've been I, I don't know why I put off for so long getting an A9, but I'm probably gonna get that that'll be maybe my next camera is one of the A9s, probably the A92, mm-hmm. and not uh, the A7S3 when it comes out. Yeah, you know we were talking about like. Oh, the long overdue A7S3 or whatever comes out, but you know Sony's fault. I mean, Sony was the one that got us so used to like a new camera every few months, re you know brand, reiterations every year. So yeah. I mean, it just got people like into this. And I talk, mode. I talk to people all the time about that too. I'm like, you know, it's like you know, stop. It just you, you got to stop. You know, oh, I just want them to put it out. You know, they shouldn't put out something just because. It's it's a year later. They should put it out because it's the next generation, or right. the, the the tech is there to warrant it coming out. And I hate it when you know cameras like you know, every you know, buy a camera and then six months later another one comes out. You know, it's like ah, I just bought the, the first one. Right. You know, it's like it, it kind of hurts you. Like it wasn't you know the the, the EOS R. There's been enough time and enough time for them to develop, and they pushed out a much different product. And it's it's a big step up so you know that's not like like oh I'm, I'm upset because they did it they actually really pushed the envelope and and did something new with that release yeah and no, absolutely and i mean when they do finally release you know their next camera the a7s3 or whatever they come out with it'll be like worth it it'll have the features that make it worth the upgrade not just uh, like you said a release for the sake of release which is yeah, you know, it's like like cell phones. Like every year in September, we put out the new iPhone, or we put out the new Android. Yeah. You know, Samsung G, or we put. You know, it's like it's like you can bet on it. It's like, well, what, what am I gonna like? Now people are so used to it coming every year, they're like, well, I'll wait to see what the next generation comes about. You know, it's like if there isn't enough put in that phone, like you know, and these phones coming out every year, there's really not a lot of different stuff, and they're trying to keep coming up with ideas to come up with the and the prices keep going up. You know, it's like you know, suddenly like one year later, it's a twelve hundred dollar phone, and uh, it's not really doing that much of a 
difference than your your other phone, so it doesn't really warrant buying a new one. Just like TVs are suffering right now in, in new TV technology. It's like you know, if there's people are holding on to their monitors because and TVs just because there's really no reason to upgrade. Yeah, you know, beyond the 8K video, the other feature I'm most excited about, you know, getting my hands on and actually trying on this camera is the dual pixel autofocus. You know, I've been I've been living in the Panasonic. Um, contrast detect autofocus ghetto for so long that it'll be a breath of fresh air to actually be able to use something like eye autofocus and you know real good solid focus it's a system that you know, I've heard so much about um, it works really really well on that camera too yeah. and especially you know the the, the touch screen uh, the Canon has really, uh, that's one thing that like, I, I will give hands down, the, the, the touchscreen on Sony versus Canon and in the, in, in the menus and the way it works is they're night and day. The, the, the Canon is just a joy to use in terms of its menus and the touchscreen and, and using it for video is great. I mean, just being able to kind of do a rack focus and, and uh, hit one point to another point on that touchscreen and really kind of do wonderful things, uh, which you can do on the Sony, but the, for some reason the Canon and is just, it, it feels very seamless and, and really enjoyable. Yeah. I'm also looking forward to the 45 megapixel stills. You know, of course, been shooting 20 megapixel forever, and I've you know I've gotten the opportunity to play with the S1R uh, at work, and it's it's lovely to have all that extra data to work with. You know, Tim, I know video isn't your forte or really desired um, medium. Um, you know, you shoot with the Leica, you shoot with the Nikon's. Um, you know, does uh, does something like a 45 megapixel sensor appeal to you or intrigue you at all, or is it is it not as important for you? Yeah, no, I don't. I don't do any enlargements that big, um, so I don't really. I don't. I don't. Very often, I mean, I do have a few, but yeah. um, I don't. I don't really need that many. I was just. I was when you mentioned that. That I was wondering uh, why. Why are you interested in that many megapixels? Because you know, I mean, most of the output is right to screens, or at, at the most. Um, and, and you know, unless you're doing really large enlargements, I'm just wondering what the advantage of that would be, other than because you're, you know, now you're going to need a new computer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have a new computer, so it's okay. Um, okay. Well, you know, you're right. I mean, even enlargements, like I've shot with my GH5, I've shot a, you know, a 20 megapixel still with it, and I blew that up to movie poster size, and it retained a lot of the detail. Like you didn't lose much. I mean, I could definitely see where a 45 megapixel um, image would have retained a lot more quality and detail. But I, I see the 45 megapixels thing is just, again, I mean, I'll never turn away more information or more detail because, again, that stuff just holds up, you know, better over time. And the ability to crop right. in, you know, especially like, for instance, right. I, all I'm getting is the kit lens, the 24 to 105. So being able to shoot with that 45 megapixel sensor, like equivalent gives me like almost like a 200 millimeter, you know, if I'm going to crop in after the fact. Um, so that's, yeah. you know, that's a, a benefit and a feature and just having more room to work with, you know, more things. I mean, you're shooting with the Lycon and Nikons. What, what are the MPs, uh, megapixels for those? Uh, 24. Oh, on the, on the Leica, I don't even know on the Nikon. Um, uh, yeah, 24 for me is my sweet spot because yeah. you get really good ISO performance. Um, and, you know, like you said, you can blow it up to, I mean, even 24 by 36 pretty well mm -hmm. without losing yeah. anything. Um, yeah. 
yeah no, i mean again it's it's just a nice you know luxury feature that i haven't had a chance to play around with too much so again looking forward yeah. you know i think you know if you were obviously if this was something that interested you probably the r6 would be more in your line right i mean you're looking at that you know 20 megapixel sensor but you're getting all that other sweet uh capabilities um you know you said you're shooting mostly with the leica but i mean do you shoot do you kind of mix and match between Leica and Nikon, or do you, you mostly stick to Leica? Uh, no, uh, you know, for the past, like I said, 10 years, it's, I've just stuck with the Leica for, for a number of reasons. One, I, I, I found if I use two different cameras, even if I use two different types of Leicas, mm-hmm. um, the menu system and everything is different. And I don't, I don't really uh, like menu systems. Like, like that's the uh, one drawback to me with the Sony. I've toyed right. with them a yeah. little bit and, ah, uh, I don't really don't like that, and I even on the Nikon, I don't really like the the menu system because the other is just so simple and so easy. Yeah. So I like I like just not even thinking about it, and so um, I, I just like sticking with one kind of simple camera system. Okay. Well, as our resident Leica user, uh, what's what's new in the world of Leica that you're looking forward to? Any any new camera releases coming out, or um, hinted at, or rumored about? Or are you just happy with what you They got? are releasing something. Yeah, they're releasing something. And I think this week, it, I think it's just going to be a more megapixel version of what they've got right now. But believe it or not, I, I am I have been gas-free oh. for, you know, a few years. I, Gee, gas it's anonymous. amazing. I'll even go to these. I mean, just yesterday, I was at the Nikon website for an hour or two trying to talk myself. You know, because I haven't bought anything for six months, right? Yeah, None of us right. have. We've all been stuck inside. And I'm like, yeah, I need to buy something. And so I... And that, there was nothing on them. So yeah, I don't want a 780. I don't want a uh, whatever their uh, digital things are, their uh, mirrorless things are. Right. Uh, so then I went to the Leica site, and I'm like, lens, anything? <laughs> no. Nope. Yeah. Kind of happy where I'm at. Yes. But by the way, I think David Buto, who we've had on the program, um, is also uh, a Leica. Show. I think that Jeff Flake picture that he took, uh, I think he did that with his Leica. I think. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, getting all kind of antsy, especially for those of us who can't afford to, you know, purchase new gear at this time. Obviously, it's it's not a possibility for a lot of people. Right. But, you know, for those who have that luxury, um, yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's like everything's coming out right now. Everybody's making their big announcements this summer because they don't have, like, trade shows to show them off at. So I think um, Sony actually just unveiled, like, a very expensive new lens. Right, Travis? Did they not? Or am I... The- yeah, there was a twelve to twenty-four uh, lens that the the G Master lens that just uh, was unveiled. Yes, absolutely. How much was that then? Yeah, which is a three thousand oh dollars. Wow. There you go. There's your gear acquisition. So that's, that's, that's that's a that's a wide you know that's a wide lens uh, and uh, a lot of glass yeah. at twelve to twenty-four, and that's a very specialty niche kind of little uh, area. And you know, a lot of people may gravitate to the sixteen to thirty-five, but you know, people don't even realize you know even from fourteen millimeters to twelve meters, that's actually a huge amount of uh, real estate on on, on a photo. Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, I I recently got the ten to twenty-five millimeter f one point seven. You know, uh, for my Panasonic and um, Beautiful lens, beautiful lens. Very expensive though, almost two thousand dollars for that lens. So, you know, there's there's ones up there, but I'm looking at what's offered by Canon. You know, because obviously I want to see what my new uh, R mount lens lineup could potentially look like. Damn, that is some expensive glass. Like it's very expensive. It's yeah. Very, and, did and you save any of your? 
sorry, sorry, Travis. Did you save any of your old glass? Can you use that on on there? Yeah, you, with an adapter, you can use all your old glass, but it is there's it's adapted uh, and uh, the the mount for the the Canon. I mean, even if you look at the the uh, seventy to two hundred, uh, which is you know probably one of the best lenses uh, out there that Canon made for you know their EOS line. Their new one for the for the uh, the mirrorless line is uh, is smaller. Yeah. It's uh, squattier and uh, it's really kind of a cool lens that uh, they were able to reduce the size of it and do some cool stuff with that. Uh, and their 85-1.2 is unbelievably cool. Mm -hmm. It's a great, great, great lens. It's, I mean, they're doing some really exciting stuff with their lenses. Yeah, so I don't plan to get the Holy Trinity right at launch there. I'll, <laughs> I'll wait and maybe add to my lens collection over time. My biggest uh, priority right now is selling my old equipment so I can have money to buy this uh, lens or, or camera system and, you know, just kind of uh, adapting to it and figuring it out. Um, but uh, all right, well, let's go ahead and move on to our next topic this evening, morning, wherever you're listening or watching to <laughs> us. Um, a photographer is, a wedding photographer is suing uh, Virginia because he says the new law could force him to shoot same-sex weddings. So, you know, he uh, basically the state's new anti-discrimination law, he says, infringes on his First Amendment's rights to object to shooting same-sex weddings. You know, so he's obviously, um, you know, conservative christian who you know doesn't believe in you know same-sex marriage uh, or doesn't approve of it so again he doesn't want to be forced to shoot um these these weddings and this new law would enforce him essentially to not be able to turn down uh, those type of jobs based on his personal beliefs um so you know we've seen this in the past obviously this has been a big thing like with the, the wedding cakes and whatnot and i'm sure this isn't the first time a photographer has had this sort of, uh, you know, the story has been brought up. But again, we haven't talked about it in a while, and I thought it, it merited some uh, some additional coverage. Um, so, you know, throw it over to you, Tim, first. Uh, what are your thoughts on, you know, sort of this, uh, this person's sort of belief and uh, desire not to want to shoot same-sex weddings? Do you think that he's, you know, he has any merit in his, his desires or beliefs with regard to not wanting to do this? Do you think he should be forced to shoot same-sex marriages? Um, I don't think there's a 11th commandment that says you sh thou, thou shalt not shoot gay weddings. So um, I'm, I'm, you know, falling back on your religion for that sort of thing um, seems to me a little bit silly. Um, you know, in medicine, um, we don't apply any kind of discrimination to anybody. In fact, um, it, well, Dave, you were in the Marine Corps in the Army. Um, it's just you know you you just you shouldn't have that shouldn't a person's you know sexuality or race or ethnicity or anything like that shouldn't have anything to do with the services that you provide having said that if 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 you know uh, the wedding couple if the, if he really doesn't want to do a wedding it's not going to be a good relationship right, right. you want to have a if you're getting married <laughs> you want to have a good relationship with your photographer so Rather than going through a lawsuit, um, I don't know why, you know, you, you could just, I mean, if that's the way he feels about it, he could say, you know, I'm really uncomfortable doing this and right. you'd probably be better off with a different photographer and and let it just kind of end at that. If, if all parties were reasonable, then it could go that way. I suppose he could be countersued for not providing the service or something like that. But yeah, uh, do you really want an angry uh, photographer shooting your wedding? Right. Sore that they lost <laughs> a, a lawsuit? Be like, fine, I'll take your stupid photo. Yeah. 
I think you want yeah. somebody who's working with you every step of the way, you know, to uh, create the best possible wedding uh, photos they can. You know, unfortunately, we have to uh, codify this kind of thing, right? I mean, we have to make it a law. It should be something that your your mother taught you when you were growing up, you know, just to play nice and be a, you know, swallow whatever your problem is and just, you know, do your, you know, do what is asked of you. But So, you know, making a big deal out of this, I think, is kind of, like I said, silly, mm -hmm. but um, it should be just normal good behavior. It's it's like what we're going to talk about later, the code of ethics. That's that's all mostly stuff your mom should have taught yeah. you uh, growing up. So, um yeah, but yeah, but like you said, you don't want to you don't want an adversarial relationship between the photographer, and the clients, yeah, no, absolutely. or the cake maker and the clients, whatever. Yeah, well, the cake suit uh, actually won. Once the Supreme Court and the bakery won, actually, they're you know, oh. um, so they don't have to bake cakes for same-sex marriage couples if they don't want to, I guess. Um, you know, Travis, um, any thoughts on this story? Wasn't that? Well, I, yeah, of course, of course, I have uh, very similar thoughts. It'd be funny so, if you said no, uh, no, I got nothing to say on this, Dave. Next, <laughs> next topic. No, it it, it 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 really bothers me, and 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 obviously, I I'm a, under the same belief. It it shouldn't be an issue, and it shouldn't uh, it, it shouldn't be that way. But uh, there does need to be law uh, about this, and uh, at the same day, it's like I, I, as a photographer, when I go to shoot a wedding, I or, or or choose a client, they're choosing me, and I'm choosing them. It's like if I don't want to work with them, I say no, I don't think I'm the right fit for this, or I'm busy. There's plenty of ways not to get into it if you don't want to i mean I, i'm basing it because I, I think they're a horrible person you know it's like yeah. if she's going to be a bridezilla and i just know that if this is going to be a taxing horrible wedding for me to shoot why would i want to be there and shoot that it's like i, I don't want to subject that on myself but when it comes to putting law and predicate down uh you, you need to do this because what's next is like oh I don't like you know I don't want to shoot gay weddings or you know I don't want to shoot it because you're black or I don't mm -hmm. want to shoot it because you're a Trump right. supporter I don't want to shoot it because it's like it, it, it's it, it's it, it denies service to people off of a religion and belief and, and sexual orientation I think that's a horrible horrible precedent and, you know, and it needs to you know be protected that uh, and and the whole bakery thing I think that's uh, the bakery thing that was uh, revisited or re returned uh, on that judgment or something like that uh, I don't think it was as clear cut as they don't have to serve them anymore yeah but, i'm just uh, looking at the the um, what the story said about it so i didn't yeah I'm, i haven't followed yeah, up on that story i'm not sure i'm not sure i need to follow up on that but uh you know i i, I hate that uh we're in a world like that we just can't uh you know we always seem to look for people's differences and how you know much quicker we're there's so many more things that bind us and and bring us together as people i mean we're all basically want the same thing you know love companionship uh, uh a happy life uh you know to live our you know selves so i don't know why don't we don't start with our you know commonalities before we look at our differences and uh, just kind of baffles me yeah no i mean it just seems odd in this world where you know everybody's pining for work and it's you know it's it's few and far between and there's so much competition in the wedding space that you know there'd be any sort of just you know refusing work so to speak but even in that space there's so many other people out there who could work and do the job and you know like again i think they're they're probably making a case out of it out of you know how do i say but also but also what what tim was saying i i almost think it, it's not the worst thing is to know that, that these people exist you know yeah. if if uh you know this person is saying i don't want to shoot gay weddings and suddenly you know what all right you know what oh, oh, uh, that should be put on a list and you should be, be put on a list this person doesn't want to shoot yeah. this and it, uh, make it a lot easier for other people to know instantly this is not the person you want to work with anyway because if you know if i'm a you know a gay couple wanting to get married and this guy doesn't believe in, in what i believe in or, or or my my life and style and stuff like that 
I don't want anything to do with him. You know, it's like, I, I, why should he even be there? It's like, that just seems like the most counterproductive thing in the world. It's like, you know, hiring a, uh, a mechanic to do your heart surgery. Like, I don't want him there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, now he is on the list. It's called The Internet, and his uh, name, Chris yeah. Herring, is associated with this story about his, his, you know, lack of desire not to photograph um, weddings-based, you know, sexual orientation, gender. Um so yeah, when when you're you're searching for someone, hopefully you you do your research and this will pop up and you know you'll know like okay maybe this isn't a guy I want to work with you know, um, but uh, yeah I mean again it's a sad state of affairs that this type of thing is happening and uh, you know, he is suing Virginia so he's not necessarily suing like a couple like a you know from the story like there is one like a single couple who are trying to get them it's just he saw this anti-discrimination law come into play he sees he's kind of like looking at down the down the line here looking at the long distance prospect of this and he realizes hey i might not be able to refuse service to a gay couple because of this law oh no and it's like you know he's he's following suit you know to i guess stop it so hopefully you know this suit doesn't go anywhere it's thrown out and he you know doesn't he (laughs) doesn't get anything but he'll probably figure out some way to not shoot you know You'll be like, oh, uh, so you and your really? husband, ma'am, are getting married? Oh, no, no, it's my wife and I. Uh, I'm booked all the way forever until the end of – what day do you want to get your wedding? Oh, I'm booked that day. I didn't even tell you the date. I'm, I'm booked. I'm sorry. Anyways, but it will become an issue at that time. So, yeah. He, he must have some backing on this because this <clears> is going to cost him a lot of money at legal fees, especially if he, you know, if, right. you know, mm-hmm. if it wants to take it all the way up to the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. So. He must, unless he's just independently wealthy, he must have some backing on it. Yeah. So, you know, rather than just waiting to have that conversation with a couple, you know, hey, sorry, I don't feel comfortable with right. this. Um, there, there, there's something well, else going on here. I think. Although there are some lawyers that are just those type of lawyers that chase a case like this to, to make money on the back end. Yeah. Yeah. Have either of you ever experienced anyone who, who chose not to cover something because of their beliefs about it? Like, Has that ever come up, you know? within the APA, like any other, yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's not, but I'm just, I'm trying to think of, have you ever heard of anyone ever not shooting something because of, whether it be, you know, not a wedding or a shoot or anything, just because I don't want to shoot something for any reason? Or would, would there be anything you wouldn't shoot uh, these com- this, this, uh Yeah, if I, if I knew that uh, there was a horrible person that, you know, uh, um, beat his wife or, or, or that was a type of person that, uh, you know, w- was uh, abusive or, or something like that, uh, or, you know, uh, sexually harassing someone, or and it was. Why are you discriminating against anything to do with that? Abusers and no, for a very clear yes, reason. Of course, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I think you know there there has to be. Yeah, I I understand taking moral high ground and and but uh, if you want to stand by it, it should be announced that way. You know, if if it got out there that uh, I was not taking a job because I, I was not wanting to shoot someone that was a, a, a sexual abuser or something like that. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's one thing, but it, it, where does that line come? It's like, yeah, I, that, that is a personal choice and, and should that be protected? Yes. But also should the person, like if, if you serve time uh, in prison, should you still be able to get a job and still have the same rights? Yes. I believe in that too. So there, there's a, there's a, there's a, a real kind of shades of gray mm-hmm. in all of this, and it's not—it's never—it's never black and white. Right. Um, and, and I think people that can reform or serve their time, or you know, it's like—it's—it's it's never, it's never an easy decision. Okay, Tim, any any time you've ever refused to shoot something or thought about anything for any reason, or known of anybody who's refused to shoot something? 
Um, not in the photography world because I'm as a you know doing it professionally. I'm kind of relatively right. new to it. Um, well, the medical world, but you know, in medicine, well, in medicine, yeah, we do have this uh, uh, dilemma. Well, not dilemma, but we do have the situation come up a lot because you're called to the emergency room and. And there is a pedophile there, or there is a murderer right. there. I remember even as an intern, um, you know, there was a guy that had, had raped and murdered a bunch of young oh children, God. and was, you know, and it was fell upon me to take care of him. But, um, you know, you have to do that when it's an emergency situation. But I will say that in my elective practice, sometimes I would just, like Travis said, to have a feeling about somebody. Uh, he called him, you know, Bridezilla or whatever. Um, that that uh, that it was just trouble, and I would, you know, I would just say, hey, you know what, I'm just not feeling it here um i'm going to refer you to one of my colleagues or right. something um I, I remember once uh, um uh when my mother died I, I was with her the last week and then I, I spent a week or so there getting the funeral ready so i had to postpone surgeries and almost everybody was understanding of that you know but there was one woman who wasn't and when i came back she met you know we got together to reschedule her surgery and she chewed me a new one and i said you know you need, you need to go find somebody else because yeah. uh uh, that's just completely unreasonable. So, um, yeah. but yeah, in the photography world, I was trying to think about. It. I haven't read anything about anybody refusing uh, that. Nope. I was racking my brain as well, trying to think: has there ever been an instance where either I did not want to shoot something, or you know, I knew somebody? I would think the only time I've ever not shot something is if it's been like an event I couldn't do, or I just wasn't motivated to shoot like i just wasn't excited about it you know like like an event or something i've certainly i've certainly had clients i haven't gone back to i had a client in in, in palm beach that uh, was a very high-end gallery person and uh, had all kinds of original great paintings and i was uh, hired to shoot his stuff and and went to his house and uh upon shooting there the way he talked and treated to his staff sickened me so that uh, I, I refused to to ever shoot again with him because it was just uh it was horrible and i i, I never wanted to deal with that person yeah. again i um i photographed a party that went to like 1 2 a.m crazy hours and uh after i did that experience i didn't want to do that experience again that was a a nightmare <laughs> for me because it was just like shooting the same basic shots of people all like having fun and whatnot you know party photographer and then it just you're correct the next day i'm like that's not really the type of photography i care to do you know if i can help it um beyond that though the only time i've ever really turned down work is if it's been extremely low um pay or no pay you know people expect me to do something for free and then i'm like i, I discriminate against people who don't value myself my work um so that, there you go hopefully there's no anti-discrimination laws against that um but uh <laughs> beyond that no I, I pretty much will shoot whatever anybody pays me to do but you know once <laughs> once i find out how bad a person they really are then i'll <clears throat> reconsider all right well let's go ahead and move on to our last topic this evening we're talking about of course the photo bill of rights again we just can't get away from this topic. You know, it's been in the news, at least if you're in the you know, photography world. I'm sure, like, the average Joe has absolutely no idea what you, you go up to them and be like, hey, you know, John the dentist, are you, can, can you believe this photo bill of rights that was published? And they'll be like, huh, what? I, no. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, Tim, you said that you had some thoughts on this in the email. Um, so let's start with you. First off, what do you, what do you think of the photo bill of rights, buddy? I think you know. I think the majority of the document is is good. Uh, I, I I like I said. I I don't I don't know why. I mean, NPPA has a, a 
code of ethics and world press photo has a code of ethics this this it looks like it goes beyond that uh you know because it talks about things like um you know payments and 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 um I forget what they called it, but there was some kind of shaming thing or something that if, if they didn't like you, uh, then they would let everybody else know that you shouldn't be hired or something like that. What, what, what I, I guess the thing that bothered me about it, and, and I suppose bothered uh, David Burnett mm-hmm. about it, was um, kind of the basis that it was founded on, when it, where, where it uses, it's just, it has inflammatory terminology right. and it has kind of hate speech in it. You mean, you know, it talks about the white supremacy a couple of times, and it talks about all this stuff that seems to be really topical right now, mm-hmm. especially right now. Um, and and I'm sure you know has some merit, needs to be looked at. Society needs to figure all of that out. But to 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 use that kind of inflammatory language as 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 sort of your preamble to to your to your document um, is is bothersome. To me. Yeah, and that's kind of the same argument our uh, guest last week made um, about it, you know, basically saying like, you know, there are some good things. Well, now he said it was any good things to it. I said there were good things to it, but, you know, there, there was a good collection or organization, but there was too much political or, you know, emotional or, you know, taking a stance on certain things. Like it was too charged in that uh, direction based on, of course, you know, the what's going on in the world. So it was Noah Berger who came on. You can check that his thoughts on it on last week's yeah, episode, did. episode 232. Uh, of course, uh, Travis, you've made your thoughts uh, known about it. You, you basically see it as a sort of a nice to have, not really any sort of significant sort of thing. Nothing's going to change because of this. It's just like we're all kind of patting ourselves on the back and saying, oh, look, good job. We, we, we outline what we want. All right, now get back to work. Well, it's uh, it, it, it's it's not uh, yes it's not that simple though it's i think these are the conversations we need to have in the industry to uh find the right place to go um and if if you don't initially take that first step you never get the following steps so this is a first step and i don't think it should be the step it's only a first step in in trying to figure out uh how we uh deal with you know all, you know systematic racism how to deal with equality how we deal a, a, as ethics how we deal so i mean these are conversations we need to have is this bill of rights the 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 right thing that we should sign no i don't think it is i think it is a first step in a conversation that's very important that needs to continue and where tim earlier said this should be taught from our mothers, a lot of times we, we don't get that education. So um, I think uh, if we build the community and and a community that follows up on each other and keeps it in check and, and lives by a code of ethics, we need to find out and re- revamp that code of ethics and, and really have open conversations. And I think this is a step towards that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, you know, obviously the reason we're talking about this and, you know, you may have seen the show notes if you're, you know, following with us, of course, there were two open letters, one from David Burnett, you know, talking about sort of the ethics of this and, and NPPA and sort of their role in participating, which, again, we see that or is was, you know, mentioned by Noah as being a very controversial decision by the NPPA, according to him. That's why he left. And then, of course, a response uh, to Mr. Burnett um, from by Amy, Amy Scott. Scott. Yep, Amy Scott. Yep, thank you. Uh, you know, basically saying like, hey, there's there's a lot of different perspectives on this issue that maybe you're not taking into consideration, or at least that's how she sort of, you know, I'm paraphrasing yep. her, her very lengthy and also well-written letter. Um, so, you know, again, you know, what do you guys think of either of their two arguments? Do you side with one or the other more so, or, or do you kind of, are they both 
making good arguments or are they both missing the point? What are your thoughts? Uh, I, I, I thought that her letter was um, also pretty angry. You know, when I read it, I was kind of surprised. I thought, yeah, I have to go back and read David Burnett's letter again <laughs> yeah. because she's really mad, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know? <laughs> and, um, and uh, you know, he was mostly talking about the the, <clears throat> the rules and regulations type of thing, where where she was really going for the discrimination, racism, sexism yeah. uh, angle on the whole thing. <clears throat> and I and I understand the anger there. I really I really do. But like in the Bill of Rights, it says um, that that uh, that this is an industry that remains overwhelmingly misogynistic mm-hmm. and racist. Um, I, I just think that's strong language. Yeah. I was. Um, I was in on a uh, Magnum portfolio review uh, last month, and it was a kind of thing where they put out an invitation on the internet, so it was you know worldwide invitation, and then you would send in your portfolio, and they would review it, and uh, then invite you you know if you met a certain standard, I guess it would invite you to to have your portfolio reviewed by a Magnum photographer, and I made it you know through that, and so they had a webinar uh, to kind of discuss how to how to interact with your you know your Magnum photographer while you're doing this whole thing. And uh, so, you know, on a webinar, everybody's picture is up there. I kind of looked at it, and there were 41 people on the webinar, 31 of whom were men. So, uh, and the and the, the the editors who who made the selections were both women, um, and they had a, a man of color um, working for them who was did all the organization and that sort of thing. So, uh, you, you know, you, you on the one hand, you could say, well, Magnum is just uh, misogynistic and and, <laughs> and racist, but I mean. <laughs> You know, in in that particular case, it just so happened that, you know, I assume more men than women uh, put it in portfolios because I'm sure they had produced equal work. So so when you see something like that, if somebody just popped in and said, hey, wait a minute, there's 31 men here and 10 women. This is misogynistic. This is horrible. Right. And there's only there were, there were 39 uh, Caucasians. <laughs> so you I, think, oh, my God, I, it's I, racist. I've I've been having these conversations, especially as chairman of uh, American Photographic Artists here in New York. We're, we're having these conversations, and I think part of what you're saying, and, and you started to go there, is uh, is that yeah, maybe it was a lot of you know men that actually threw in their portfolio. Mm-hmm. But then we have to have the discussion: why was that, and why did uh, women or, or people of color not feel that that was the place for them? And and usually when you start going further in the conversation, they have reasons, and and they're like, well, I don't feel represented there. I don't feel it's a safe place. I feel like, why should I do this? So when you may look at it and go, well, you know, it it, it is what it was. It, it actually isn't because if we go beneath the surface there are underlying things that are happening that we're not addressing and that's why I think that these conversations need to be had and that's why you're having such radical letters to each other is because the people that are on that outside fringe that feel you know because I'm uh, I'm a white female or I'm a person of a color or because I'm gay or because I'm transgender we're not we don't have those places that you have that you constantly have uh, they don't feel like they even want to go into those sections right now so they're they're fighting hard for what they believe in and 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 here we are, you know, three white men having conversation, and I'm, and I'm a man of, you know, a white man of power on a board, and here that's going. It, 
I, it's hard for me to say yes or no to how, the way they feel. I, I, I don't know. I, I can't possibly. All I know is I can help with all my power to open up the conversation and give them a voice and help them try and bring them in and find out what I can do to, to bridge those those communities together and uh, and, and allow it to, to change. And I think that's where we need to start is, is to to always kind of be conscious to try and bring those people together and, and allow them to have a voice in a safe place. Uh, because I think uh, up until this point, uh, it hasn't been that way i i i i can see that in cer certain things like um, you know joining a country club or something like that or some society or organization but magnum is a really open i mean it's if if you're to the level in photography that you that you're going to send a portfolio to magnum you understand that they're a very open diverse group who um like like matt black said to me uh, i'm going to be the last white male that magnum ever hires because they are they are so concerned about uh, uh represent you know equal representation and 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 all that sort of thing so uh, you know i i guess i'd buy that a little bit for certain things but 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 to, but, to when, just, to, to, but to just put it on on people being afraid to apply to Magnum because they don't feel safe or something like that. Um, I no, I, that that was an example, and and obviously over over a, a industry wide, which it has been that way. So yeah, there's always outliers, but it, but when you feel like you've been kicked, you know, around and, and you know, women with becoming pregnant, uh, that that has just you know ruined careers and, and derailed them. People of color not getting the same opportunities. Uh, it, this is this is you know community wide it's not it's not new or, or it, and, and it's certainly i'm sure you know a magnum may be doing the right thing or not i'm not sure yeah obviously I, it's it's a wonderful you know the, the history of magnum and, and and its work and it's is unbelievable but uh we're looking at uh, you know a whole community and not just the, some of the outliers yeah you know i, I and may might be an old-fashioned sort of sentiment but with regard to like photography right when i see someone's photograph or I see a photograph online, you know, that's like amazing. I don't think about or care who shot the image, you know, like that doesn't even come into my mind. It's like, that's an awesome photo for awesome photos sake. Um, so it's almost like, you know, in terms of image industries from like the outsider's perspective, maybe, you know, it's the most kind of colorblind, like race, gender, sexuality. <clears throat> you know, so the outside observer has no bearing or, you know, interest or, you know, like yeah, I doubt uh, someone's picking up their newspaper and saying like, "Oh, that was shot by a white uh, heterosexual uh, male photographer." You know, although you know the industry does skew that way uh, heavily. But you know, adjacent to this same topic, uh, you may have heard about the Simone Biles um, photo shoot uh, sort of uh, discussion, right? So this was a, a photo shoot by Anna Leibovitz of Simone Biles. Um, you know, a, a Olympic uh, a female African-American um, athlete. And so the, there was a lot of criticism lodged at Annie uh, about this photo shoot because, you know, it basically they were complaining about how poorly lit it was, how it's overly dark. And, you know, people were saying, like, you know, they should have had an African-American shoot her. And then there was discussion, like, should... You know, should African-Americans only shoot African-Americans, you know, should, you know, should there be that sort of, um, you know, determination before someone is hired to do a photo shoot? Uh, have either of you seen the story I'm talking about or heard the conversation? I have not, but I want to kind of rewind to something you said. It's like, it, were you kind of discussing, you know, um, I, I don't look at it, things with a bias, and and I think that's part of the problem. It is 
is I, I, I have now reevaluated my own thing because I, I have always tried to program APA for everybody and walk into a room and treat everybody as equals. That That's not just enough. That's not okay. What we need to do is actually not only stand by but stand mm -hmm. up. And, uh, and, and not allow it to happen and have a voice and really say, this is not acceptable. Not just say, well, I don't think that way and I don't look that way. That's not enough anymore. It's, you, you need to take it to the next level as a community or it's not going to change. To say, I'm calling that out and I'm going to boycott you, like, you know, you know, whatever. It's like, we need to stand up. It's not enough to just say, I, I stand with you. We have to stand up as well. And I think that's the difference yeah. right now. Okay. Tim, any thoughts? I don't know if you've, have you seen the Simone Biles uh story by a chance no i i didn't I, I guess i'm a little bit worried i understand where this is all coming from but i'm, I'm a little bit worried about segregation mm -hmm. uh like it like like you know we just had a discussion a little while ago about uh, a religious person not wanting to photograph a, a gay marriage so um i mean if, i mean it, it, I, I see things heading towards segregation if we push it too far that way mm -hmm. like only this kind of person should be uh, photographing people that are like them. Right. And that's, uh, you know, you can't have it both ways. So yeah, I, I, I totally uh, agree with that. You know, I, you know, we get to that point. It's like even Hollywood casting is like, you know, people have turned down roles like, oh, well, you can't play. They should have a transgender. Playing <laughs> yeah, a transgender. exactly. It's that's, like, no, it's, it's, it's mm -hmm. acting. It's like they, they shouldn't have to step down. It's, oh it's acting. It's an art form. It's like, you know, it's, it's I think we, we tend to push things too far sometimes yeah that's the first thing i thought about was the whole trend in hollywood of you know i think it was holly berry who apologized for playing a, a just yeah, a transgender yeah. man like you're an actor you act acting is professional lying i mean you should be able to take on any character just like i think anyone should be able to photograph anyone else you know it doesn't matter the skin color of the photographer or the skin color of the subject any professional photographer worth their salt should know how to shoot light and, you know, photograph anyone of any type. And I think once you start going that route, well, then what happens when the opposite happens and, you know, you're a white person and you only want a white photographer, you know? Okay, now now you're, you're coming into a really bad racism issue right there. It's like, again, anyone should be able to photograph anyone. It shouldn't matter who's behind the lens. The only thing, the part that matters is that gray matter. That's six inches behind the viewfinder. That's that's the only part that should matter. But that's that, that sort of goes to the whole ar argument of you know Black Lives Matter versus All Lives Matter. And uh, you know uh, uh, early on, like years before this, I would have you know I probably might have been the one saying All Lives Matter just because I felt a crime was a crime, right. and mm -hmm. you know if it was black, white, sure. or blue, and and I was arguing that and not really looking at well, you know what it's like I, I'm not that black person running down the road and and getting pulled over. You know, we have celebrities. You know, SNL guy was just jogging and and was thrown to the ground and guns pulled. Oh Does he look like someone? And and this is something that I've never had to deal with. So when you say Black Lives Matter, it's a systematic you know right. uh, uh, history of racism and profiling and and stuff like that we have to deal with. So it's when you say it's like you know save the whales, you're not going well save all fish. No no yeah. it's 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 a call to action of someone that's that needs our help right now. And and I totally get it. And to say all lives matter it really kind of de you know it, it is counterproductive to what actually it means. And uh, it, I think those are the differences in the conversations that hopefully that now with all of this you know you 
you look at this perfect storm of events, and uh, if it wasn't for COVID, if it wasn't for Trump, if it wasn't for you know that man and everybody being at home because they were you know locked up, uh, you know sequestered and and social distancing, they wouldn't have seen that knee to the neck and a man dying in front of yeah. them, and then they wouldn't have had the time to go out and march for days after days because you know everybody wasn't working anyway. Right. It's like all of this almost needed to happen at this perfect point in history, and none of it would have happened if it wasn't for these series of events. So, hopefully, that these this you know, evokes the change that needs to happen. You know, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, Tim, you mentioned in your email that you, know, you had a sort of different perspective on COVID than some of us did, or you maybe had just your own take on it. Um, how has COVID affected you, your work, what you do, and, and sort of your area? Well, first of all, uh, until recently, Idaho was not really affected by it. So except for uh, one area, the ski resort Sun Valley, uh, which uh, actually had a higher per capita infection rate uh, than New York City did. Uh, in fact, they recently did uh, sort of random antibody testing up there. And 35 percent of people uh, in, in, that, in that valley uh, tested uh, or, or had had it uh, according to their antibody test. So. Um, it, you know, and like I said, I've been retired for a year and a half, essentially. Um, actually, I've been having a series of operations and, and, and medical procedures being done. So that's why I've been working. But um, so it hasn't really personally affected me. But, but um, you know, most of my physician friends, I would say the overwhelming majority of physician friends just think that some things about this have been politicized. I mean, I'm a surgeon. I've been wearing a mask for the past 40 years. Yeah. And it's not the mask it what i'm afraid of is that the mask gives people a false sense of security sure. um uh, because uh, you know I, you go to the grocery store and the guy's adjusting his mask and everything mm -hmm. and then hands you, you know bags your grocery well it's on his yeah. hands i mean it stays on your hands for a long yeah. time it stays on surfaces and so the random breathing something <laughs> in uh, of a small concentration it's just it's it's become a political statement right. so that that's the thing that, that and it's like it, it like defines your politics right if you're out without your mask on you're you're a, you're a conservative or a republican or whatever if you're if you've got uh, you're your obviously mask on, a true american who believes in freedom obviously but just to, <laughs> but but just because you are a medical professional and i i, I want i value your opinion because you've had obviously years of, of training that Unfortunately, all these wonderful social media people that think they're, you know, the, the, the right answer and have the answers don't. <laughs> Some have reason they're an expert. Um, wearing masks in general does reduce. Uh, and it, it is a good thing. If it done properly where people are not touching their face and wearing masks, it does reduce. And, and, and it has, I think, am I wrong? It has uh, slowed and, and helps prevent uh, the spread and reduce it. It may not be the, the end all be all, but it certainly is a, a major factor in reducing uh, the spread. They're, they're just now doing some decent science on this. Everything up until now has been pretty anecdotal, but they're just now doing some decent science. Uh, science. And I mean, the only way to really do it is have a prospective randomized controlled trial where you have a 500 people wear a mask and 500 not walk into a room with people with COVID and then see what happens to them. That's really the only way to, to determine like a COVID it. Party to but me. so they have to do these epidemic. Yeah, they have to do these epidemiological type studies and, and, and they extrapolate. And the best one was just published in, in the British journal Lancet, which is one of the most prestigious medical journals in the world. And it said uh, for community use, masks might prevent uh, uh, spread. And, and in a one on one clinical setting where you're dealing with a patient with it, masks probably do now you know and in science and medicine we're dealing with p-values of 0 0.05 mm -hmm. and so right. you know we're looking for statistically significant differences and so it appears as though there's a trend that masks may help but um 
it, again, my my issue, you know, wear a mask, don't wear a mask. You know, what, I don't care. But but the false sense of security, I think, is worse than wearing a mask. So you, you can't train everybody how to how to sterile technique. Right. Uh, you, like if I was in surgery and I, I touched my mask on my face, I couldn't put my hand back in the wound. I'd have to go out and yeah. rescrub mm-hmm. and change everything and everything like that. Well, that's because that's kind of, that's how disease is transmitted, you know, that way. And, and, and in surgery, we wear it so we're, we can talk to each other without spitting in the wound, mm-hmm. literally. Uh, but, but when you go into the community, you see people wearing cotton masks that are, that are soggy mm-hmm. with their breath. And, you know, they're adjusting them and pulling them, they pull it down to talk to you or they put it up to you here. Yeah. No, obviously, <laughs> there's, a lot of, there's a lot of idiocy out there. But, but when you're talking uh, mask or no mask, just that simple fact of mask or no mask, if you are wearing a mask and it even reduces it 1%, isn't that better on the whole of doing it than not doing it? If if it reduces at one percent, but doesn't increase at five percent because you're you got this okay. soggy uh, uh, right. virus culture on your. I face guess that's what we're seeing, and, 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 and I just seeing I, from from what I'm looking at, it seems the whole world is is sort of kind of gravitating to that. It does do some reduction of, of spread. Uh, in, in these kind of circumstances. So I was wondering what's most frustrating for you as a medical professional when you're seeing the way the U.S. is handling this. What What is your advice or what do you tell people in the practicality because you, you're you medically trained. What is most frustrating for you and what would, what, what would you give out as advice in this situation because we all have to live in it. And, yeah, it's it's just that that don't let the mask give you a false sense of security. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the most important thing I think is hand washing and distancing. Um, hand washing and distancing are a whole lot more important than masks. If you had those three things, had one group of people, you know, really close versus another distancing, you'd right. see a difference. If you had yeah. one yeah. group of people washing their hands a lot and the other ones touching each other a lot, you, you would see a high uh, rate of disease. Um, it, the other is the masks. I, I don't think it would be as significant as that. However, my niece, who's also a physician, and she's actually in charge of the uh, COVID response at one of the hospitals here, uh, lichens, I don't know if I can say this, but... Um, it's too late now. You got to go uh, all the way. Come on. Okay. All right. There we go. Uh, so, so the mask is to, if you've got it, prevent it from giving it to somebody else, right? Correct. And so, yes. uh, so it, it, and you and there is an idea that if you uh, have the disease, but you're asymptomatic, that you can transmit it. There's also some mm-hmm. literature that shows that you really can't. And so we don't know. We don't know if you can transmit the disease or not if you're asymptomatic. But just assuming that, you know, just assume that you can, then yeah, that's where wearing like, mask is It looks good. like it's been these kind of gone down to super carriers opposed to other, other you know, it's like, you know, there's that one person that really spread it to like, you know, different nightclubs and, and that, that they can really trace back, you know, and tr- that's why tracing is so important to find out where, you know, where and how. It's, and it seems like they can pinpoint a lot of this deck to like uh, this, the super carrier type of person. Typhoid Mary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 No, yeah. I mean, you know, going to your points, uh, mask, you know, again, this is just because we, we live in this over here and, you know, we've thankfully been able to stomp it and squash it for the most part. But, you know, even though we're at, you know, maybe 20 or 30 cases a day for the entire country of South Korea, and, and honestly, the majority of them are coming from off of the peninsula, um, you know, mask wear social distancing, hand washing, it's not one or the other. It's all of them have to be done in tandem. I mean, that's the best way, you know, just being aware of your surroundings, even with a mask, maintaining social distance, you know, just, you know, that's that's the hugest thing. Because, again, those masks, the one where, you know, unless you're wearing an N95, you know, medically approved mask designed to filter out the virus, 
none of those masks are doing anything really to filter out the virus. It's just lowering your chances. I've seen the graphics where it shows like, here's what the chances of you getting it are if nobody wears a mask. Here's the chance of it. One person wears a mask. Here's the chance of it of both, you know, wearing a mask. And it's mm-hmm. again, yeah, mm-hmm. don't don't go breathing right in somebody's face like. But obviously there there has to be some sort of uh, combination that is working because if you look at New York, which is one of the densely most densely populated places around, uh, and we just had our first no COVID death day just the, the other day. Obviously, by that combination, uh, that combination of you know having four hundred thousand people infected in New York City, and now reducing everything by you know social distancing, closing uh, down things uh, by wearing masks, by it, it, it's clearly had an effect, and we're seeing that places that have opened up too early that uh, haven't been doing the mask and haven't been social distancing properly like Florida and you know Texas and stuff like that where, where now it's the, the hot spots and, and, and spiraling out of control we can see easily that if we do certain things it definitely has an effect yeah and I mean it would have had a much greater effect in New York City and I think all parts of the United States if contact tracing and um, yeah. quarantining and uh, you know those, those sort of things had been done much more aggressively earlier on here in South Korea like anybody gets sick, there's a huge, you know, they'll contact trace for the last 14 you know, days. And then everybody who's touched that person or been in contact with that person is now in quarantine or getting tested. The contact tracing, the wide availability of quickly being able to find out if like, for instance, in my office, we had somebody who, you know, was um, suspected of maybe having it. They got tested the next day. You know, because I work around that person, I was in my house and quarantining until I found out if that person was sick or not. Thankfully, they weren't. They found out the next day and I could resume my life. I've been hearing stories in the United States where it takes five, 10 days to find out if you even have COVID. I mean, that's. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I, I have friends. I have friends now that, uh, you know, that uh, have COVID and, and they were saying, you know, they they were tested and they wouldn't find out for three to four or five days after yeah, that, that's that they, they had it. Ridiculous. So, you know, it, yeah, it's horrible. And you look at Germany that uh, now is like if someone walks into a store, I think that there has to be a written transcript of that that has to be held uh, for 30 days on record. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they're being more, you know, much more diligent about, you know, tracing this and, and combating and which is very frustrating that uh, in America that it has become politicalized and that, you know, that, that wearing a mask is now suddenly a statement of whether I believe in you know, a certain party or not. I mean, that's just that, that we that we think that way is insane. And it's just that's what I find that the most frustrating part. Yeah. Uh, you know, Tim, like what you said, you were out at a protest. Uh, did you see anybody wearing masks or was it kind of mixed or, you know, what was your sort of or social distancing? I mean, were you seeing anybody were people taking the, the virus seriously? So, yeah, it was a it was a BLM defund the police protest and, and there was at City Hall in Boise, which is right down the street from the Capitol. And so the, the sort of the central part of the crowd were, was were the protesters and then there were counter protesters on the periphery. Um, and it was, you know, it was divided uh, politically. Most of the people on the inner part um, all had masks and, and, and beyond. I mean, some had actual respirators on. Um, not that many people uh, on the other uh, in the other part did. However, uh, as as things heated up, and I, I put myself right in the center. In fact, the the protesters had formed this circle where they you know held hands and everything, and then they would speak from the speaker would speak from the inside of it, I guess, to protect them or whatever. And I I was actually able to break through that circle and get on the ground and you know take a picture of the whoever was speaking with the city hall in the background. So so I was right in the uh, center part of this. Plus, I I, I spent a lot of time. Uh, on the periphery too, uh, photographing the counter protesters, but but the the, the 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 things heated up and people started screaming and yelling and shoving and 
fighting and and the 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 protesters were, were pulling their masks off in order to make their point more you know i guess <laughs> vivid or whatever and i remember at one point i was in this tight situation there were these people yelling at these people over here and these people sort of had masks on but not really and these people didn't have masks on they were kind of going back and forth and one of these people over here one of the protesters took her water bottle that had about a third of the water left in it she took the cap off and slung mm. it and so that had her saliva mm. in it and it got all over me as well as the people next to me so i quarantined myself for for it'll be 14 days uh, tomorrow oh, wow um and uh yeah so you know that's just bad behavior um uh so so yeah it was it was it definitely was politically split in terms of wearing masks but in terms of um vile behavior it was pretty much equal on both sides so do you are quarantined did you get tested no i i'm no i uh, you know you don't need to you know there's no need to get to i mean most yeah there's no need to get tested you either get sick or you don't right. i mean you could be um, a carrier and not and know then, it i mean that's how you could be asymptomatic I, you know yeah, but i'm quarantined I'm, but i'm quarantined so if i'm an asymptomatic carrier I'm, I'm quarantined and then you know the disease uh has a peak at five days where people become symptomatic most people become symptomatic in that first five days and then it's almost uh unheard of to get symptomatic or be contagious after that uh point but i mean but there's no medical recommendation that everybody has to get tested that's had an exposure. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, you go by symptoms. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, again, I've seen a lot of different cases here in the peninsula. I mean, we've had people who, you know, had the COVID within them for 40, 50, 60 days. So, you know, this this idea of the 14 day. Yeah. I mean, again, if you hopefully you don't see symptoms, but you could also be an asymptomatic carrier. You know, it never knows. I think uh, anyone should be able to get tested, you know, if they feel they need to get tested and they should get that, you know, response back, you know, within probably one to two days. Hopefully that the, you know, that'll be something that happens in the future. But um, yeah, my wife was sick, independent of, of this exposure of mine. My wife was sick, had a fever, you know, didn't feel good, had some of the symptoms of it. And so, yeah, we went down and she got tested and she was okay. negative. And there was a little virus running yeah. around. Which is weird because in this time where this is a highly contagious virus and everybody's being hyper vigilant about uh, you know contact, sure. she didn't go even to the store. I mean, she didn't have hardly any contact at all, and yet she and some other people got yeah. sick. Um, how'd that happen? <laughs> I mean, whatever they got must have been even more contagious than COVID. Indeed, indeed. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap up this week's show. Uh, Tim, please tell our audience where they can learn about more about you and your work. Well, I um, have a website with my name, timothyfloyd.com. I also have a documentary website. It's 934FST.com, mm-hmm. 934FST. And I sometimes post to Instagram, uh, which is just Tim Floyd Photo. Uh, you also have an outstanding book. Uh, I'm hopefully I'm Care Under Fire, right? Or is that? Well, yeah, uh, aid and Comfort to the Enemy, yeah, about um, I was close. delivering I was close. healthcare during the invasion of Iraq, yeah. Did you did you finally sell those uh, two that I sent uh, you? Or I sold one. Um, I still okay. have two more. So if you want to get one of these awesome books at well under the retail cost, all you have to do is go to our Patreon, Patreon.com/slash/AroundTheLens, and uh, become a patron at the fifteen dollar or higher level. That's what I've, you know, uh, put the the sort of bar at. And I will send you a copy of the book. We have two copies left, so act now. Don't delay while supplies last. But uh, excellent book. I read it myself. And, you know, again, you've got some you know, wonderful storytelling prowess and some excellent photos in there. 
And uh, if you want to find out more about uh, Tim or his work or any of the topics we talked about, you can go on to AroundTheLens.com and find our show notes, including links to all of our social media. Uh, before we sign off, of course, Travis, is there anything you want to promote or push or let people know you're going to be doing? And you're muted, Travis. I'm not muted anymore, am I? Ha ha. No. <laughs> uh, no, as always, it, it, we've had some amazing conversations today, and uh, we want to hear from you and uh, continue the conversation. And uh, if you have uh, your own viewpoint on anything we talked about today or want to you know, share some uh, some new stuff or uh, discuss any kind of things that we maybe we're not discussing, please get in touch with us because we love hearing from 100%. you. 100%. Awesome. All right. Thank you, Travis. Thank you, Tim, so much for being a guest on tonight's yeah. show, especially on short notice. I really appreciate that. All right. Well, good luck out there. Keep on winning those awards and uh, growing your expertise and whatnot. Hope to hear awesome things from you in the, the space. Um, for Travis Keys, I am David J. Murphy. This has been Around the Lens, episode 233. And we are out. Thanks for listening to Around the Lens. We hope you enjoyed the show. To continue the conversation, head on over to one of our social media outlets such as Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or Twitter. To support the show financially, consider donating to us via Patreon. For show notes from this week's episode and links to everything else we talked about, just go to our website, AroundTheLens.com. Finally, if you or someone you know might be a good guest for the show, get in touch with us via email at info at AroundTheLens.com.